Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Good morning, Frontline. It's good to be back with you again. Good to be home again. Um, So uh, what an incredible thing we just got to celebrate. You know what I mean? Just like children and parents and families saying, we want Jesus to be at the center of our families. Uh, We want want to just do everything we can to pursue him as a family. That's an incredible thing that we get to do as a church. And so I'm thrilled to be with you. Uh, We're going to be taking a a next step of the journey here into the story of Joseph for week number three of the series. Joseph is a major figure in the Old Testament of the Bible. In fact, his story makes up like basically several chapters that make up the end of the the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And so uh, to jump into what we're talking about today, I want to show you this is uh, my wife's blue 2007 Honda Odyssey right here. Uh, And my wife, Carrie, she loves this van. It's like her favorite vehicle she's ever owned. We have had it for well over a decade. Uh, This van has over 260,000 miles on it. Um, You can't see this, but the other side, uh, the bumper is cracked and it's actually super glued on. We, we have literally been driving down the road in this van and pieces of it have just fallen off. And it, it's just like, well, I guess we just didn't need that piece of it anymore. <laughs> we just keep driving. And so this thing is getting to the end of its life, right? And so uh, Carrie and I, we do this thing where uh, like we take walks every single night. We try to get out of the house. It's really good for our marriage. And so several months ago, I, I was trying to, you know, kind of broach the subject with her about, hey, let's start to think about what's next when the van dies. My wife does not like change at all. And so we're out on a walk and I, I broached the subject like this. I said, honey, you know, the old mare just ain't what she used to be. I was referring to the van, not to about her. I made that clear. And I said, you know, it would be good to start to think about when the van dies, when, we, when it just completely goes under and we can't fix it anymore, what kind of vehicle do you want next? Like, can, you, can we dream together about what, what vehicle you could be driving next? And to my great shock, Carrie says, I already know. I've actually already thought through it. I know exactly what vehicle I want next when the van dies. And I was like, this is great. She, she never like, this is like hard for her usually. I'm like, this is great. Well, tell me, what vehicle do you want next? And she said, here it is. I want another blue 2007 Honda Odyssey. That's what I want. <laughs> Apparently it was a great year. <laughs> so uh, Carrie, her biggest dreams for her future oftentimes are, is that nothing would change, that everyone would, everything would stay the same. Anybody else like that? Just like, man, my biggest dreams for the future is that everything would just stay the same. Kids would stay the same age. Everything would, would just stay the same. I, I will tell you, though, Carrie, I, because I love her so much, because she is literally the most important person in the world to me, I have dreams for Carrie's future. I have big dreams for Carrie's future, and my dreams are you know, mama's got a brand new SUV. That's what I, or mama's got a sports car or something like that. Like those are my dreams that I have for her. Like I look at her life and I I want her to be driving something way better. I ask you that because, you know, the question as we look at Joseph's story this morning, I want us to, to ponder is what dream do you have for someone else? 
What dreams do you have for someone else or for other people? Do you have dreams for other people's life, for other people's goodness? I'm not talking about dreams like, like to try to control them. But I bet you every single one of these parents that was just up here with their children, if you went and asked them, they probably have dreams. They love their children. They probably have dreams for their kids' lives. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's uh, a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. What dreams do you have for other people's lives? Is it for healing? Maybe there's somebody in your life who's sick and your ultimate dream for them would, would be that they would be healed. Maybe it's a dream for financial blessing for somebody who's just gone through a really tough time. You know, maybe it's a, a dream for that like, they would find someone like a spouse and get married and be in a family someday. What dreams do you have for other people? That, that's such an important question as we look at this section of the story of the life of Joseph. Uh, because and, and this is the main idea I want you to get. This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. Literally, as we look at the story of Joseph, I'm going to spend the next bit of time just trying to convince you this statement is true. The purpose God has for your life will always include a who. The purpose that God has for your life will always include a who. That's significant because if you ask most people, hey, what are your dreams for your life? Most people, you say, hey, what are, you, what are your dreams for your future? They will literally begin to say, well, you know, my dream is that I would live in this place, that I would make this much money, that I'd have this kind of a career, you know, I'd have this many kids, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. Basically, most of us, when we answer that question, what dreams do, do you have for your future? It's a, it's a dream about me living my life, getting the things I want in the way that I picture myself getting them. But what I would say, and you'll see this in the story of Joseph today, God's purposes for our lives, his dreams for our future, they always involve us becoming a means to an end for someone else to experience healing, salvation, freedom in Christ. The purpose God has for your life always will involve a who. A who. We've got to know at some point who our who is that he's calling us to. You, you may have a job. You may have a great job, but still not know what your purpose is. Uh, you, you may have an education, but still not know what God's purposes are for your education. You may even have a family. God may have blessed you, a spouse, children, but still not understand what God's ultimate purpose is for your family. What's interesting is we see this in the life of Joseph. When we first met Joseph a couple weeks ago when we started this series, we first meet Joseph, he's young, he's, and he has God-sized dreams for his life. In fact, they're God-given dreams for his life, prophetically. And we're gonna see as the story unfolds that the dreams God gave him as a child uh, are gonna come true. But the way Joseph is interpreting those dreams, you know, a couple chapters ago when we were first meeting him, is his dreams are all about him. Literally, he tells his brothers, I had this dream from God, you, all, you guys are all gonna be bowing down before me. It's all me at the center of, of my dreams and you're gonna be bowing down before me. By the way, that's not a good thing to tell your brothers if you have older brothers. So they end up selling him into slavery. He has to leave his hometown and he goes to Egypt. And then last week, David did such a great job talking about Joseph finds himself again in another rough spot. He is falsely accused of rape and he's cast down and he's put in a prison. And what, what we're gonna see as we look at the story of Joseph this morning is that Joseph now, his dreams in this part of his life, they're not about himself. They're all about other people. He's all about helping other people live into the dreams that God has for their life. So let's take a look at this uh, together. Joseph is in prison. 
He's been falsely accused of rape. He's lost his hometown. Verse 5 of Genesis 40. We're going to look at the whole chapter of Genesis 40 today. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. Now stop there just for a second. Okay, so Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. That's who he is. He has a cup, there's a cupbearer and a baker that are in this prison with Joseph. So what's a cupbearer and a baker? Okay, in ancient times, a king would always have a cupbearer. This was the person who would prepare his wine and would literally go and put the wine cup in his hand. This is a highly trusted position. Oftentimes, the cupbearer would taste the wine first because plots to poison and assassinate a king were, were very frequent in that day. Okay, so that's what the cupbearer is. Now, the baker, similarly, is also, he's the one that would prepare the king's food and would literally go and, and, and be trusted to put the, the food on the king's table. So somehow, the cupbearer and the baker are both in prison. Somehow, they've offended the king. And what, what a lot of people have, have suggested or wondered is, was there some kind of plot to assassinate Pharaoh? Was there some kind of plot to, to poison him? And who the two main prime subjects, or suspects, I mean, would be, of course, the cupbearer and the baker, those who were close in proximity and who were responsible for his food. So the cupbearer and the baker, they're, they're likely in prison while there's kind of this, we're trying to figure out who is guilty and who's innocent here. Are they guilty of trying to poison the king? It goes on, it says, when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. Now, I think that's remarkable. Joseph notices them. He looks at their faces and he realizes that they're, that they're not well. He realizes they're upset. Now imagine, this is a guy who's been falsely accused of rape. He's been put in prison. He's lost his, so many bad things have happened to him. And yet, instead of being bitter and angry, how easy and tempting would it have been to just be so like cynical, bitter, you know, jaded. Instead, he's focused where? Outwardly. He's focused on them. He's not focused on himself. He notices their faces, and with empathy, he reaches out and says, you, you look like something's blown up in your life. What's going on? Talk to me. This is a sign that, that at some level, Joseph is, is realizing, my life is about others. He's reaching out to others. Let's go ahead in the text. Keep reading there. It says, and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. So, the cupbearer gets this incredible interpretation of the dream from Joseph. Joseph is like, man, that in three days, you're going to be restored. You're going to be proclaimed as innocent of this crime you've been committed uh, or accused of, and you're going to be restored to your position. And he says, remember me. Rem when you get out of the prison, remember, I've been in here falsely accused. I didn't deserve anything that's happened to me. Now, let me, let me just tell you for a second, here is the mistake we almost always make when we look at the story of Joseph in the Bible. 
Oftentimes what we do, when we, when we read the story of Joseph in the Bible, we identify with Joseph, right? He's the protagonist. He's the main character. So just like we do with movies or novels or anything, we kind of identify, we kind of see ourselves kind of in the position of Joseph. We say, well, you know, I'm kind of like Joseph. You know, God can use me to bring his messages to others and solve mysteries that are in other people's lives. And that's not necessarily wrong or, or bad. There's, there's a place for that. But, but actually, uh, we have to at some point take a step back from the entire Bible and ask the question, why is the story of Joseph in the Bible? Like, why is it even in there? The story of Joseph's life takes up a huge chunk of the last part of Exodus. I mean, chapter after chapter goes on. Uh, he's a major character in the Bible. Why is the story of Joseph in the Bible? Here's why. It's because the story of Joseph and Joseph himself points to one who is greater than Joseph who's coming. Joseph and his life and his story show us Jesus and show us what Jesus is going to come to do. In fact, uh, scholars refer to Joseph as a type of Christ. That's the language for it. He's a type of Christ. In other words, he is one, a character whose story kind of encapsulates the gospel message, the story of Christ, and it points us to one who is going to be greater than Joseph, one who is going to come to do what Joseph couldn't do in his power. Joseph shows us Jesus. So, so when we look at Joseph and we read his story, we're supposed to understand Joseph is, is supposed to show us Christ. He's not, not, he's not us. He's supposed to show us who Jesus is. And think about, if you could, some of the similarities between Joseph and his story and the story of Jesus. Uh, for starters, an innocent man came into our prison and shared our condition. So we talked about this a lot around Christmas time. The incarnation essentially was just like Joseph was cast down in a prison and he was an innocent man. The incarnation, in a sense, was Jesus joining us, being born as, as a baby, as a human being. He took on our, our condition and stepped into our prison cell, even though he was innocent. I go ahead to the next one. This innocent prisoner revealed God's message to us. Joseph is used by God to interpret dreams and bring this message of what these dreams meant. Jesus, of course, brought the gospel message of salvation, that when we put our faith and our trust in the person of Christ, we can be saved. We can be liberated. The prison cell isn't our, our future. It's not our reality. It's only temporary. And then thirdly, the innocent prisoner was proved true in three days. We're going to see this. Jesus, or Joseph said the dream is uh, going to come true in three days, and he's proved true if you read through what happens next. In the same way, Jesus was crucified. He paid the ultimate price, the penalty for our sins, and three days later, he was proved to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the ultimate liberator. So, so Joseph, in, in his story in the Bible, is meant to kind of point us toward the true and better Joseph, Jesus the one who would come to accomplish God's ultimate purposes. So when we read the story of Joseph, we have to say, that's Jesus, that's who that is. He's pointing us to the person of Jesus whose message brings ultimate life. So let's keep going, okay, in the story. So, so the passage just continues. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, well, I had a dream too. He's like, man, this is awesome. I mean, what an incredible interpretation. So he says, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. 
Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Wah, wah, right? <laughs> so, so literally, I mean, the baker is like, wow, I just heard this incredible, you know, dream interpretation. Three days from now, uh, the cupbearer's going to be restored. He's thinking this is the same thing that's going to happen to me. And Joseph is just as faithful to deliver the message of judgment to the baker. Hey, man, you're not going to get out of here. Apparently, the, the baker was guilty and he was found guilty, whereas the cupbearer was found innocent of, of his crimes. And he says, look, you're, you're going to pay the price for this, the ultimate price. And Joseph is faithful to deliver that message of judgment just as much as he's faithful to deliver the message of deliverance. Now, again, Joseph is here to point us to the person of Jesus. And even in this moment, you see the beauty and the power of what Jesus is going to come to do. Because what we see that Joseph is not capable of doing and not able to do, but he's pointing to one who would come, who is greater, who will do. Uh, Joseph's words were only able to rescue the innocent person, right? The cupbearer, the innocent person. But Jesus, when Jesus comes, his words have the power to set even the guilty person free. The gospel message is that all of us, by the way, are guilty. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the God, the glory of God. None of us do right. None of us seek God. None of us are innocent. And so Jesus, the power of the gospel that he came, he, he didn't just come and, and, you know, bring rescue for those who are innocent, for those who appear to have it all together. He came for the guilty ones. His words, his message, the gospel has the power to set free even those who are guilty. Are you thankful for that, anybody? I'm thankful for that. Joseph points us to the true and better Joseph, the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you allowed him to rescue you? Have you allowed him to intersect your life in the prison, whatever prison cell you find yourself in? And have you allowed him to just take your condition your guilt, your shame, your sin. That's what he longs to do. That's what he longs to do for each one of us. In a sense, you know, the gospel, uh, Billy Graham said the gospel, in order for the gospel to be good news, it has to first be bad news. But by that, what he meant is, uh, you know, there's this bad news. We kind of have to embrace at first that, that we are more guilty than we ever dreamed we are. We're, we're far worse than we ever thought we really are. But the good news of the gospel is that we are also far more loved than we could possibly ever imagine. That our guilt has been paid for and that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have salvation. So Joseph points us to the reality of Jesus. Now here, I'm gonna read to you the last verse of chapter 40. And I would tell you this last verse, verse 23, is the most important verse in this particular section of the story of Joseph. This whole story, this whole chapter ends this way. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So three days go by. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer is released from prison. It's great. And he gets out and he forgets all about Joseph. In fact, it's years later, we, we find in, in the next chapter, it's years later before he finally even remembers anything about Joseph. And ah, now finally, we finally see ourselves in the story. Remember, Joseph is not, we're not supposed to identify with Joseph. Joseph shows us who the person of Jesus is. So if you're looking for us in the story, if you're looking for you, if you're looking for me, there it is right there. We're supposed to identify more with the cupbearer. We're like him. We are the ones who experience the rescue, who experience the good news. And then once we're out of prison, we just forget all about the one who got us out of prison. 
That's, that's my story. That's your story. That's all of us. That's the human condition. So uh, a couple of questions here. If you want to go ahead to the next one there. How often do we forget about Christ once we are rescued? How often when we get out of the prison cell, do we forget about the one who rescued us? I, I wonder, are you like me? I've had times in my life, just devastating times where I, I just found myself in this desperate position and suddenly it's like I clung to Jesus. I, I, I went to him. His presence seemed so real to me. My, I began to just depend on him every second of my life. There was just this extreme moment of dependence. And I, I mean, I, I cherish those moments of my life, even though they were really rough times, but, but because the presence of God drew so near to me. But then once I get past uh, you know, the cancer diagnosis, once I get past the latest scan, once I get past the next thing that's coming down the road, I find myself going, hey, thanks, Jesus. I appreciate that. Can I have the wheel back now? I'm good. Appreciate you. I, and, and I reassert my independence and I grab the wheel and I say, I got it from here. Thanks. We, we do this, don't we? This is, this is what we do as human beings. We get out of the prison and we have this tendency to kind of then reassert ourselves and go, well, I got it. I don't need to live in any kind of abiding, ongoing dependence relationship on you. I, I, gotta, I can take things back over again myself. And I think, you know, God in his mercy to us, if I could just offer this humbly, when we find ourselves in really rough times in life where, where things fall apart and where we find ourselves, you know, wondering why this, this latest bad news has come across. I don't think it's because God caused those things to happen in our lives, but I think in those moments, he allows those things to happen so that we can be reminded once again, hey, you didn't get here on your own and you can't by your own merit and your own power save yourself. But, but even beyond that, beyond how often we forget about Christ once we're rescued, maybe the best question I could ask is how often do we forget about others who are still in prison? When we experience the rescue of Christ, when we get out of the prison cell, how often do we forget all about those who are still in prison? If, if I could just say this to you, I am convinced that Jesus wants to intersect our lives. Jesus wants to get us out of the prisons of our lives, but he never wants to get the prison out of us. Let me say that again. If you're going through a rough time, if you're in a, a desperate place of life, Jesus wants to meet you in that place. He wants to be with you in that prison cell if you'll allow him to be in, and he wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to get you out of that prison, but what he does not want to do ever is to get the prison cell out of us. What do I mean by that? I mean, we are never supposed to forget what lost felt like. We're never supposed to forget what lost felt like. Have you forgotten what it felt like to be lost, to be broken, to be addicted, to have no hope? I haven't forgotten that. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've grown up around it all your life. Have you, have you forgotten what it feels like to, to not have that, to, to, to not have a hope and assurance of your future and salvation? I have this thing that happens um, every uh, every single January, I have this conversation. Just, I literally just had this a couple weeks ago with somebody. What will happen is someone who's you know, a saint of the church, been coming to church, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor Brian, you know, I've read every single devotional there is out there, but you know, it's January. Can you recommend another devotional for me to read? I need something to really go deeper in my discipleship uh, with Jesus. I kind of something to help me go deeper in, into discipleship. And I always frustrate those people because I always give them the answer they don't want to hear. And I've, I've been doing this for years. Here's what I say. I always say this. 
Man, that's awesome that you finally want to go deeper in your discipleship. Here's my advice to you. Don't read another devotional. Go find someone who's new in their faith and disciple them. Take all that information that's in your head and go disciple someone else. Whenever I say that, the person always says, well, you know, that's not quite what I mean. What I mean, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about my, my life. I just, I want to go deeper in my discipleship. And I've read all these things and, you know, study. I just, I just need to go deeper. Can you, and I, I, yeah, I can help you with that. Don't read anything else. Go disciple someone else. It's amazing how much you learn more about the information when you actually have to teach it to someone else. Go disciple someone else. Have you gotten out of the prison and then forgot about those who are still in the prison? Because if you understand what's important to the heart of God, do you, you know what a disciple is? A disciple, according to Scripture, is a person who makes disciples. That's what a disciple is. Jesus, in Matthew 28, his, his final words before uh, going to be with the Father, his last words to his disciples, that we know it is the Great Commission, he gathers all his disciples, he says, listen up, all you disciples, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to go into all the nations, and I want you to... Make disciples. That's what he says to do. Baptize them. Teach them how to follow me. And surely I will be with you if you do that to the ends of the age. That's that's what he tells them. So if you understand, a disciple who makes disciples, that's what a disciple is. So if you're saying, I want to go deeper in my discipleship, but you're not discipling anyone, you're not a disciple. You're just somebody who's, you're you're just a guy who knows some stuff. You filled your head with some information. A disciple is someone who hasn't forgotten about the others who are still in prison, who hasn't forgotten about the one that rescued them from prison. It's the beggar who still knows where bread is and can find other beggars and say, here, I I found something. You need this too. I've said it at the beginning. I just, I want to just reiterate this again. The purposes that God has for your life will always include a who. The purpose that God has for your life a life lived with purpose, with meaning, with ultimate hope and joy always involves finding a who. Do you know who your who is? A couple of weeks ago, I, w- I was uh, talking with a friend. We had uh, together watched um, some, some uh, conference speakers from the Passion Conference. And there was this speaker at the Passion Conference, a big uh, conference that happens every um, beginning of the new year. And there was a speaker, her name was Catherine Wolfe. And I had no idea who she was. I had never heard her story. And my friend and I were talking about just how much we were moved by her talk and her story. And so um, this is a picture of Catherine Wolf. And so very quickly, way over here on the left, uh, this is Catherine in uh, 2008. She was 26 years old, beautiful wife, had just become a mother. And shortly after this picture was taken, she suffered a massive brainstem stroke. She should have died. But, but somehow, this is her in the hospital. She did survive it. Uh, but it left her severely disabled. In fact, in her talk, I mean, th- this is what she looks like today. Uh, she's in a wheelchair. Her voice is, is labored. You know, it's hard for her even to speak. And uh, Catherine Wolf, you know, she's got all kinds of health problems. She even said in her talk, she probably won't live out a full lifespan just because of all, all the difficulties and everything with her physical body. But what she has done since the moment uh, that stroke happened is absolutely breathtaking. What Catherine Wolf has done is she has brought awareness and, and recognition to our world that 20% of Americans suffer from disabilities. In fact, that makes people with disabilities the largest minority group in our country. I didn't know that. 
Not only that, but the, even the greater thing that she's brought awareness to is the fact that the largest uh, unchurched people group in the world is people with disabilities. I didn't know that. The, the, the largest unchurched, unreached with the gospel people group in our world is not in some jungle somewhere and somewhere. It's people with disabilities because of lack of access to, you know, facilities and programs and all that kind of stuff. And so it's breathtaking what she's done. She and her husband have started a camp for families and like hundreds and even thousands of disabled people have come to this camp and, and their families have come and they've heard the gospel message and people have come to Christ and, and they, they've come to hear the gospel message in a place where they can receive it, they can hear it. And she's an author and a speaker and has gone around doing these incredible things. I was talking to my friend about just how moved we were by her speech, and he made this statement. Here was a statement he made. He said, man, isn't it great that she found some way to make something out of such a tragic life? That's what he said. Isn't it great? She found some way. Isn't this the hope, you know, for all of us? Like, she found some way to make something out of such a tragic life. And you know how, like, Somebody will say something that just kind of sticks in your brain. It's like, why don't, why don't I like that? Why, didn't, why did that sit with me wrong? And so I was thinking about it afterward. Like, why did that statement bother me? And I finally came to realize that the reason that statement bothered me is because Catherine Wolf has not lived a tragic life. That is not a tragic life. You're talking about somebody at, at 26 years old who at a very young point in life went through this horrific, you know, experience and she found her who? She found her purpose. She found her who? And she has spent years of her life now, purpose and meaning. That is not a tragic life. That is a great life. That's a great life of meaning, of purpose, of fulfillment. This past Monday, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We celebrated the life of Dr. King, you know, this man who at a very young age found his who and worked for racial reconciliation, for justice, for the oppressed. We are still today feeling the reverberations of the life Dr. King lived. And at 39 years old, he was murdered in Memphis, Tennessee. His life was cut way short. He, MLK had a tragic death. He did not have a tragic life. Do you understand the difference? Catherine Wolf. Martin Luther King, that's not a tragic life. You know what a tragic life is? Let me, let me tell you, let me define for you what a tragic life is. A tragic life is when someone runs hard after the American dream and their life is just about them, getting all the things they want, when they want them, and they actually succeed and become a success and then they retire early and they buy the boat and you buy the house on the beach and you live till you're 95 with nothing to show for it, but all the stuff you've accumulated, that is a tragic life. And millions of people are suffering from that life every single day. We don't grieve them, we should. Who is your who? The purposes God has for your life always involve a who. Jesus talks about in Luke 15 how when even one sinner repents and when even one person gives their life to Jesus, all of heaven erupts in this applause. just goes crazy. That's what heaven's all about. That's what Jesus is all about. 
you know why evangelism is on the decline in the West, in America? Evangelism is just sharing your faith, sharing the gospel message with others. You know why baptisms, like we're gonna experience here next week, a whole bunch of people are gonna get baptized. You know why baptisms just kind of bore a lot of Christians? Like, oh, baptisms again, I've seen this before. You know why child dedications make some of us yawn? I mean, families, stand here, say, I'm gonna, we're gonna center our family around Jesus. We're gonna do everything we can to bring our kids to understand who he is. It makes us yawn. If that's you, the reason is because your life is about you. It's not about him. And you, if you do that, you could very well end up with a great job, but no purpose. Money, an education, but no purpose. The purposes of God for our lives always involve finding our who. Do you want joy? Do you want purpose? Do you want meaning? Do you want the ability to stare down even the worst storms of life with a hope that is an anchor for your soul because this life isn't all there is? You won't find it looking at yourself. So will you you bow in prayer with me? Jesus, this morning, we just recognize that you are the true and better Joseph. You came to show us that you have the ability not just to set the innocent person free, but even the guilty. You're a savior. You're a redeemer. God, I just pray for anybody in this room right now who just needs to say, Jesus, I need you in this prison cell with me. I just give you my life. I give to you my future. I give to you my sins, my, my deepest shame. God, help me to live for you. A tragic life is not a life cut short. It's not a a life that has a bunch of junk in its past. We just join with the old uh, hymn writer who said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ shall last. Jesus, we want you to speak to us, to give us a life that matters. And we we can only find that in you. So God, for each of us in this room or each of us online right now, would you just show us who our who is? Would you just give us a burden? Make us people who who live and breathe for that celebration that happens in heaven every single time someone gives their life to you, every time someone finds you. Would you give us dreams for other people that we might be a means to an end to other people experiencing salvation? That's what we want, Jesus. We want to be a part of the celebration of heaven. To that end, we just ask you to speak to us, to show us who our who is, so that we can join you in this journey you have for us. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.